We are continuing our message series called Stories of Grace, where we're looking into stories in the Bible that show us uh, how gracious God is in the way that He relates to us. And um, you'll see on, your, on the front of your program and on the screen right now, you'll see the, the, it's really a work of art that is on the program. And it's the kind of thing, you know, many of our images you look at and it makes perfect sense, but art is supposed to draw you in so that you're trying to figure out what is going on there. And Ian, the one who uh, drew this, was trying to show the greatest amount of contrast possible between the gift being received by the recipient and the recipient himself. You can see his clothes are tattered. He's, he's dirty. I don't know if you can tell uh, on the screen, but he's very dirty. He's, he's a poor man. Uh, actually, it's in the back of his mind, he had the prodigal son, the one who ran, wallowed in the pigsty. And then God, when he came back, the father, just out of his grace, restored him to sonship. That's, that's a picture in that, in that image there. And it's intended to draw you in, make you think, hmm, what is, what is going on here? This doesn't make any sense. And, and that's, what's, that's what's going on there. Because there's a tremendous amount of contrast between our own lives and what goes on in uh, the lives of the people in the Scripture that we see. The Bible is straight out, completely honest about the, the lives of the heroes. <laughs> In the scripture, and so you see this. Um, you you read this story. You look at the stories, and it's it kind of bothers you deeply about what they do, and then how God relates to them. And so that's what we're looking at. We're looking at stories that give us a high amount of contrast. And with Christmas approaching, we're going to probably be watching more movies that have Christmas themes and stories, the, the sort of the modern Christmas stories in them. There's a lot of focus on gifts and giving. But one thing that's interesting about the stories that you hear in our culture is there's a focus on gifts, but there's also this little tweak and a focus on earning what you're, you're getting. You, you need to earn it. You know, a lot of companies give out Christmas bonuses. And I've seen, okay, at least one movie, Christmas movie, where the guy goes ballistic because he doesn't get the bonus that he expected. Okay, he just goes off. I mean, that's something he felt like he earned, and he didn't get it. And that's, that's sort of this theme you see through our, our Christmas stories. Children are told by parents and through stories that they better be extra nice leading up to Christmas so that they can get their presents. If not, it's up in the air. You know, so the, the parents have this handle of leverage for their kids during the month of December. You know, oh, they're coming, you know, Santa's going to come. He's going to check this out. And so we have this story that goes on in our culture, and then we have the original Christmas story, and often you have to peel back, you have to peel back uh, the stories and the cultural traditions so that we can remember the message that, that God brings. 
at Christmas time. I'd like to just show you a clip from Elf just for, for fun that illustrates what I'm talking about in the stories that we see. So, I hear you're going on a little journey to the big city. Yep. Uh, kind of nervous. <laughs> Leon says New York is pretty different. Oh, don't pay attention to Leon. He's never been anywhere. He doesn't have any feet. I've been to New York thousands of times. Really? Mm -hmm. What's it like? Well, there are some things you should know. First off, you see gum on the street, leave it there. It's not free candy. Oh. Second, there are like 30 raised pizzas. They all claim to be the original, but the real one's on 11th. And if you see a sign that says Peep Show, that doesn't mean that they're letting you look at presents before Christmas. Can't wait to see my dad. We're, we're gonna go ice skating and, and eat sugar plums. Yeah, that's the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. You know, buddy, your father, well, he's on the naughty list. No! You're taking the books back? <laughs> see, I, I see what you're trying to do here. You're trying to make me feel bad when, in actuality, you're the one that missed the payments. But the children love the books. I know that. Uh, you know, I'm the one that ran the focus groups, but I like hearing that. Listen. This, this is common theme. We, we enjoy the movie, Elf. It's a tongue-in-cheek look at the whole Santa story. And, uh, <clears throat> we, you know, you see the, the shock when Buddy finds out his dad's on the naughty list. And there's this naughty and nice list, and you got to try to be on the nice list. And this, this is, communicates a lot of what it's all about and how we earn the favor, the gifts. We earn the gifts. But in the Bible, you see something completely the opposite of that. Grace is favor from God that we have not earned. That's what grace is. It's favor that we haven't earned. A gift that is earned is a wage, not, not a gift. Grace is something that's given to us, and it's, it's not based on merit. And th this is hard for us to grapple with because it makes sense to us to earn uh, whatever we get. And so there's this sense that we've, turned the wrong way, walked away from God, and broken our relationship with Him. But um, there's also uh, this sense that we have innately that we should earn, we should pay ourselves for whatever we receive from God, from whatever favor. So we've got to earn it to make up for what we've done. That is, that is not what you find in Scripture, and that's really good news. I mean, we can have fun with the Christmas stories. We can enjoy those. We enjoy uh, the movie Elf. It's fun. But you often have to peel back these stories out there to see what it's all about. And when you get into Scripture, you discover it's an amazing thing that God has done in sending His Son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And He gives His grace, not based on our merit, not based on what we've earned, but out of his kindness, because he's love. He, he loves us. 
He made us, we rebelled, we rejected him. We saw that last week, but he made us and he loves us. And so he, he, in his kindness, pours out his grace to us. His intention is that his kindness motivates us to change. Uh, Romans 2 says, do you not know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It's his kindness, it's his grace that leads us to turn around and, and be different and change. <clears throat> it's not our own self-effort to try to earn what he uh, expects from us or earn what he's going to give us uh, because we're trying to do what he expects. In the message series, we've been looking at stories that highlight the grace of God in some major figures throughout history recorded in the Bible. Today, we're looking at the life of Judah, and it gives another picture of how God relates to us this way. Some disturbing things go on in the story, uh, but we're going to look at four scenes from Judah's life that show uh, him being involved, Judah being involved in some very incriminating things. But through the story and God's dealings with Judah, we can see some encouraging truths about how God, who God is, how he relates to us, and what we can expect as we turn to him, as we walk with him through life. So here's scene one. We've titled it, Selling a Brother Out. Um, Judah was one of 12 sons of Jacob. He's one of the middle sons, not the baby, not the oldest. Uh, The favorite of the family was Joseph. And Joseph liked the, you know stick this to his brothers, he, he would make comments about it. His father gave him this amazing robe one time, just a beautiful robe, just gave, gave it to, to Joseph, not to the other brothers, and Joseph would go around and he would make snide comments. I don't know if they were snide, but he would make comments. You know, I think any comment to a brother about, hey, dad got me this, didn't get you that, that's probably kind of snide. So they didn't appreciate it. They sort of developed this resentment, jealousy, animosity toward Joseph. He had a dream at one point that his brothers were symbolically, it was a symbolism in the dream that showed his brothers bowing down to him. And he tells them this, okay? He tells them this, and they're, you know, kind of fired up about this. And one day, they're all working in the field. Their dad, he's a younger brother, Next to the youngest, his dad sends him out to bring a message to the brothers. And look at what they say. Here comes the dreamer in Genesis 37. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Let's do this. Let's just take care of this. I've had it. I've heard enough about dad's favorite and all that he gets because he's the favorite. And let's just deal with it once and for all. So the oldest brother, Reuben, here's this talk going on, thought better of it. He, he convinced them, let's just strip him of that robe and throw him in the well, and then we can decide what to do next. You know, we'll just take the robe, throw him in the well. And, and while they're discussing this, Judah, the guy we're looking at today, he saw a caravan of slave traders passing in the distance. They were loaded down with some valuable resources. He had an idea, and look, this is what he says. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him 
to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. Let's, let's give him a break. Let's just sell him into slavery. You know, he's our brother. Let's not kill him. It's our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came, merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph's, Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites. 20 shekels of silver, 20 pieces of silver who took him to Egypt. So first they're motivated by jealousy to kill him. Then they got motivated by greed because, hey, we can make a profit off our brother. And by the way, he is our brother, so we'll give him a break. We'll just sell him into slavery. So they did it. Uh, they'd get rid of Joseph, but, but they'd make a little, little gain. Then the brothers return home. They tell their dad, his favorite son has been killed by a wild animal. They take the robe. They dip it in blood. They show the dad. And Jacob, it says, tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, in mourning I will go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Now, at this point, any of the brothers, or certainly Judah, Judah could have come clean. He, 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 but the, the truth remained hidden. He, he kept it under wraps. And hiding the truth became a real pattern for Judah. The way it normally goes, sin causes shame, and that leads to hiding. We get ashamed of our sin, and so we try to cover it up even for years. And that's what Adam and Eve did in the first story we looked at last week. It's what they did in the, the garden. Uh, this is what Judah does in this story, and we often do the same. We, we hide things in shame. Now, fast forward to scene two. First couple of scenes are pretty, pretty ugly. <laughs> we get, we get the, that's the thing about the Bible. This is, they, don't, they don't gloss over anything, but they paint the real picture. Scene two, we see that Judah is the same ruthless man. And in this scene, the truth comes to light. Here's how. Uh, Judah moves on with his life. He has three sons, and his oldest son gets married to a woman named Tamar. Uh, this son, Ur, E-R, his name is, Ur, dies, and his wife is left as a widow. And in those days, um, the second son then uh, took her as his wife and so that she could have children, so that the first son's prosperity would go on. But son number two is crafty, and he refuses to have children with Tamar. He's a chip off the old block. He's sneaking around. Refuses to have kids with Tamar. He dies. And Judah refuses to give the third son, Salah, to Tamar. And it was almost like he didn't want to bother with this, this widow. So he refused. Refused to do what was appropriate to do at the time. So Tamar herself decides to do something about this wrong. She deceptively lures her father-in-law. He's coming by the gate of the city. She poses as a prostitute, covers her face. He sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. Um, Judah, she, she worked it out so she could prove that Judah is the father of this baby by um, taking his signet ring, which was val very valuable, piece of jewelry, um, but she, she takes his signet ring and his staff, and he promises to send a goat later through a messenger and get the signet ring and the staff. Well, 
He sends the goat, but she can't be found because she's not a temple prostitute. She is not a prostitute. So he just, I'm sure, forgot about it. Well, couldn't find her. I did what I said I'd do. Can't find her. No problem. Later, he finds out that Tamar is pregnant. Is this like a soap opera or what? This is the stuff you find in Scripture. It's pretty interesting stuff. It's, it's disturbing, but it's, it's there. So he finds out that she's pregnant, and when the news reaches Judah, I'm sure he's elated because he can get out of his obligation to her. And she's pregnant, and he says she needs, he calls her out to be burned alive. Burned uh, for her sin. Really disturbing, huh? This is this is a a shrewd man. On the day of her execution, she I'm sure dramatically brings out the signet ring and the staff, and he finds out that he's the father of the child. And in that moment, his sin and deception comes to light. The truth comes to light. It's uncovered. And at that point, look at what he says. Judah recognized them, his signet, ring, and staff. And he said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her my, to my son, Shelah. And he did not sleep with her again. Judah's earlier sin and hiding created this pattern of darker sin and further hiding. Hiding the truth only makes matters worse. It only makes you worse. And hiding forever is impossible. That's what you find out in Scripture. The impact is great when we start hiding the truth because it impacts uh, ourselves. Everybody pays. Our family, our friends, our church, our work. There's this ripple effect that happens. And at that moment that, that Judah finally admits she's more righteous than I, I really have done wrong, he begins to make a U-turn. He begins to turn around. It's confession, which means just to agree with God that you've done wrong about your sin. It's to agree that was wrong. Confession begins to turn to Judah around where we see him in the next scene being a different person. This is where it has to start with us as well, with confession. It's, it's better to get caught or to come clean than it is to keep it in the dark. Confession is the first step in Judah's turnaround, and it can be the first step in ours. Scene three, we see that Judah is a changed man. Judah's confession, when he was caught in sin, begins a change in him from the inside out, and this is the way it works. Confession, admitting or wrong, is the first giant step in change. When we bring the truth about ourselves into the light, our gracious God forgives. First John 1 John 1.9, it's not in your outline or on the screen. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God forgives when we confess. If we hide in shame, sin still has power over us. Small deceptions with our spouse make the big lie easier. Little shortcuts at work leave openings for bigger deceptions and big illegal moves. And even if we stop at the small stuff, 
That small stuff that we're trying to hide holds us captive in shame. Confession is the doorway to freedom from shame, and it's the first giant step toward change. In scene three, you can see the change beginning to take place in Judah. Um, He responds uh, to uh, a, a circumstance in a way that just reflects a different uh, approach and perspective and character in him. The backstory: Joseph, the brother that got sold into slavery, to make a long story short, he rises to power in Egypt. He's the number two guy in Egypt uh, next to the Pharaoh. And uh, that was a world power nation in, in that day. A severe famine strikes the entire world, and Jacob, the father of these 12 men, sends 10 of the brothers to go to Egypt to buy food. He keeps the youngest with him, who's Joseph's brother by the same mother. And so he he loved Benjamin, kept him with him, the youngest. And he sends them because Egypt is the only nation in the entire world that still has food during this famine. And so they go to him, and the dream actually comes to reality. The brothers come before Joseph and they bow to him because he's this powerful ruler in Egypt. He's the number two guy. They bow before him. Um, and what's interesting is Joseph recognizes them, but they don't, they don't recognize who he is. So Joseph decides, I'm going to have a little fun with these guys. And there's only 10 of them. There should be 11. He, sends, he says, you know what, I, I want to provide the food for you that you need, but I, I'd like Isn't there, somehow he discovers through their conversation that there's another brother. They say, I'd like to see the other one. This this is his closest brother. So they go get him. He comes back. And to make a long story shorter, uh, when they bring Benjamin back, they go get Benjamin. They bring him back. Joseph plants a valuable silver cup in Benjamin's bag. And so they discover it when they get back to their father and they realize, oh, no. How, how did this happen? You know, we didn't take this cup. Now we're, now we're dead. You know, and this is not going to be good. So you see the chains in Judah when they return to Joseph and admit that they have this stolen cup. Judah says this in Genesis 44, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak, or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also, in whose hand the cup has been found. So this is a very different perspective than Judah, the crafty, sneaky, let's hide everything I've done person. Notice there is no attempt to justify himself, or there's no dark strategy to get around what's occurred. Judah recognizes that God has brought this into the light. God's made this. God's in control. There's a shift here. Judah taking matters into his own hands to get his own advantage to God is in control of what's happening here. This is a drastic change from the man who is ready to burn the woman for adultery. Joseph responds, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Oh, no. (laughs) This 
This is what Jacob, their father, didn't want to happen. Now Benjamin is going to have to stay in Egypt as a slave. And so look what Judah offers. Now therefore, please let your servant, let me remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. This this is a very gracious statement that he makes here. And we see the change full circle, complete 180 that Judah's making here. He's no longer thinking only of himself. He's thinking of the grief of his father that he will experience when he realizes he's lost a second son. And he tries to avert that grief for his father. He's, he's thinking of Benjamin, who's, only, who's a, a lot younger than he is, who will become a lifelong slave, and he wants to suffer instead. And so he offers himself up to pay the price for the apparent wrong. He is a changed man. He is different. This is what grace gives us the power to do. This is how it works in our hearts. It's the grace of God when you confess, you experience forgiveness, and the grace of God that begins to change you from the deepest part of who you are to the outside of who you are becoming. We sacrifice and serve for the little ones who can't do for themselves. We pick up an extra load at work for others uh, on the team who need a lift. Small things. But when we see things, we, we give to a need uh, that comes up in a friend's life. Grace. We've, we've experienced the grace of God, the gift of God's grace, and it overflows to others as we learn to walk in it. There's a direct reflection of God's grace that powers love for us and through us to other people. Now check out scene four. This is a surprising twist. A blessing for the most unlikely. An interesting thing happens at the end of Jacob's life. In those days, what fathers did was they, they gave a blessing uh, to each of the sons. And um, when it's time to give a blessing for his sons, Judah, who is number four son, receives the highest honor. This isn't the normal order of things. It usually goes to the number one son. But Judah, this sneaky, crafty guy who lived in the dark and did some very despicable things receives the highest blessing. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Genesis 49 says, Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter will not, the the power to rule, will not depart from Judah, the symbol of the power to rule, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Is that, does that, that's not how we would deal out the blessing, is it? But Judah gets the most amazing blessing from his father. Because this is God's intent for his life. This is, and, and by the way, this is God's way. He, he blesses people out of his grace because of his love for them. Not because they've earned it. Not because they deserve it. Every one of us 
has hidden things that we feel disqualify us from the grace of God. But nothing disqualifies us from his grace. Nothing can and nothing will. We only need to trust God enough to come clean before him, to admit our sin, to accept his forgiveness that he's promised to those who confess their sins. We, we don't need to be afraid to admit our sin to God who is a forgiver. When we turn and admit it, he forgives. He pours out his grace. And in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, we're celebrating his birth uh, this month uh, with Christmas. In the genealogy, look who's found in his genealogy. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah, he's the one that's mentioned here, and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram. Judah and his children by Tamar are mentioned. That's troubling to the way we normally think, isn't it? But this is God. We just heard their story. It's shameful. And What they did is um, despicable. But God covers their shame and gives grace and blessing and even honor. The amazing thing is that God loves and uses people who are not perfect to accomplish his purposes in the world. It's all about God, his grace, and what he wants to do in and through us. This is a clear picture of the grace of God. In the line of Jesus, there is name after name that belongs to men and women who are undeserving of the honor they're receiving. God blesses in spite of their track record. He will do the same for you. If you'll turn to him, admit you're wrong, and ask him to begin to work in you, He will begin to change you. The first step is to confess and stop hiding from him. It's the only way to experience his grace. And when you do, he pours it out. It's amazing. I'd like to wrap up the message by asking you to think through some next steps. As the band comes up and uh, Joel's going to get ready to share some more announcements, I believe. No, he's not. He took care of that already. Uh, But anyway, if you take out your connection card that's in your program... That'd be great. Uh, If you could finish completing any information you haven't had an opportunity to complete, uh, that'd be helpful as well. And then there's some next steps on the back of that connection card that you may want to take. Here are some suggestions. First one, admit what I'm trying to hide from God and receive his grace. Sometimes we we don't really want to face our wrong because we feel like if we admit it, then we're, we're doomed, but we're not. We admit it to God, he pours out his grace. Second step, aim to give grace to others this Christmas. Maybe your husband or your wife, your kids, your extended family members, co-workers, neighbors. And then another way to give grace is to invite someone to the family Christmas service so we can all share in that. Invite others to experience the grace of God, hear the story of God's grace. And we're going to celebrate the gift that's beyond all gifts that comes, uh, who was Jesus Christ, the gift from God. Uh, Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for 
the truth we see in Scripture, sometimes it, it, um, it doesn't make sense to us, but it makes complete, complete sense uh, to you, and that's what matters. Uh, as we try to understand you, as we see your blessing, and as my, I, I myself, is, I've experienced your blessing where I should receive cursing. And I, I thank you, God, for the grace that you poured out in my life. And I pray that you'd really help us to uh, understand more about how you work and how we change as we walk through this time. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.